The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back into another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the National Football League. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, and we're extremely thankful for the reception and positive feedback we've received from you guys so far on this show. The one thing that we do ask while you listen to this fine podcast is that you find some time to please subscribe, rate, and review everything that we're doing on the SB Nation NFL show. Today on NFL University, we've got a couple of quick notes on news around the league as we inch ever closer to the start of the regular season. But today's episode's mostly centered around new offensive coordinators across the NFL and the ones who can't help but give us a a little bit of a sneak peek into their regular season offense here in the preseason. Uh, We're going to start with the AFC play callers, and then after the break, we'll take a look at the new NFC play callers. Uh, Before we discuss Urban Meyer's eventual retirement, I have to introduce Kyle Posey of Niners Nation and Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co., Fellas, as unlikely as it seemed at times this preseason, Jacksonville, after a hard-fought camp battle against Gardner Minshew and C.J. Beathard, has named Trevor Lawrence their week one starting quarterback. The drama and the suspense is over. Um, I, like, what, are we, what were we waiting on? Seriously. After one throw, after, after Lawrence rolled out to his left and threw it across his body um, on that little over route they had, he should have just named Trevor Lawrence to start it in, but he was going to start the entire time. Um, glad for them, but as we know, they have some bigger issues on hand. How bad would Trevor Lawrence have had to play to not become the starter? Are we talking about an interception every other drive? What would it have taken to for Gardner Minshew to start again after the team tanked, earned the first overall pick, what what would that have taken? Yeah, I think he would just have to fold in the pocket every time he drops back. Just looks like he has no idea what he's looking at when he's going through progressions. It would have had to been, and and even then, you'd be like, eh, we do we really want to roll with <laughs> right, Gardner right. again? I don't know. Yeah. Upside man, first overall <laughs> right. pick. The other guy earned us the first overall pick. We might as well use him. Um, I, I I don't know, man. Go ahead, Steve. There's a case to be made, though, that he's been the least impressive rookie quarterback in the preseason. Like, I I don't think that's Trevor's fault. I think that's more on Urban because I don't believe that he knows what he's doing in the NFL just yet. Or maybe he's never going to figure it out. I don't know. Uh, But out of all of the rookie quarterbacks, like you can point to moments where you're like, okay, that guy looks like he can play in this league. And Trevor's got a few of those throws, but overall he's probably been the least impressive guy so far. Are you saying that the Daryl Bevel offense is not working in the NFL in 2021? <laughs> yeah. Who could have possibly yeah. predicted this, man? Uh, yeah, I think we've got a lot of evidence that says that Daryl Bevel has no uh, business being an NFL offensive play caller these days. We used to do an old radio show that I worked on Um Every time one of the hosts almost said the F word, he because he did it multiple times on the air and we had to you know do the radio thing where you like dump it off of live air. We started making him say Daryl Bevel. And so and every time he wanted to say the F word, he would just say Daryl Bevel because that's how frustrating Daryl Bevel is as a play caller. They're, they ran I, – I watched – what was it? The game against the Saints, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, they ran that like stack – 
spread formation that's like very high school football where the wide receivers are like two inches away from each other on each side. And I mean, the only thing you're ever going to get from that is zone read, zone screen, pump screen. And he's still running that. And that's like very like 2008 high school football type right. of offensive scheme. There, you just mentioned the only things you can do. The wide receiver splits are so extreme that you're not going to throw that ball in the NFL. So that's why he runs it all the time. He did that in Seattle too. Um, I thought it was a thing of the past, but nope, here we are uh, in 2021 seeing those things. It just – you – I don't want to say you feel bad for Trevor Lawrence, but just based on the game against the Saints, it feels like their offense is going to be like, hey, Trevor, go save us. I'm glad that uh... – they named Trevor the starter. Finally, um, I hope to see him succeed in two to three years when they change coaching staffs. Uh, but the Jacksonville Jaguars did suffer another blow this week as well. Uh, they placed rookie running back Travis Etienne on injured reserve. When you place a player on injured reserve in the preseason before the finalized 53-man rosters, that means that their season is done. His rookie season is over. He suffered a Liz Frank injury in their preseason game on Monday night football. Uh, they still have James Robinson, who was a more than productive back for them last season, but it's still a bummer to see a really talented rookie go down before the regular season even starts. Yeah. I imagine he was going to be a big part of that offense, just as far as like their underneath passing game goes and probably just using him in the slot on jet sweeps and just motion in general. But um, yeah, it's a tough blow, man. I imagine as soon as they got that news, Urban was Googling uh, college football jobs coming available in 2022. I I don't know, man. I, I'm not the biggest Urban Meyer guy, as you can tell, but I do feel bad for Travis Etienne. I didn't want to see him. Um, and again, not, not even in the sense that, you know, I was high or low on him. I just want to see how they're going to use him. But uh, we're not going to be able to see that this year because he's done for the year with that injured reserve. Yeah, he's a fun player, too. And, you know, he came back his senior season uh, at Clemson to kind of improve his draft stock. It ended up working out for him. Um, I think he, he might have gained like 10, 15 pounds in the process. And showing his explosiveness at that size um, is, is fun. He ended up becoming a first-round pick, and it just sucks that that kind of gets taken away after, you know, he seemingly did all the right things. And before we dive into some of these offensive coordinators, uh, another big trade this morning, the Los Angeles Rams, who uh, lost second-year running back Cam Akers early in the offseason to a season-ending injury, traded with the New England Patriots. They traded a fifth and sixth-round conditional picks that could possibly become fourth-round picks if their uh, compensatory picks wind up working out that way for running back and former first-round pick Sony Michelle. Uh, Michelle has been, uh, I guess, a slight disappointment in the NFL. I, I still think that he's a talented player. I think that the Rams offense and the way Sean McVay likes to run the ball, they can make any running back successful in that system. Um, so I'm interested to see what they do. They still have Daryl Henderson. Uh, he's dealing with a thumb injury now, but they uh, pulled off the trade this morning. Uh, it was pretty early in the morning prior to a lot of people waking up. Yeah, it caught me off, uh, caught me by surprise for sure. I did not know that until we got on here. So it tells you how in tuned I am. But I think this is a good fit because the Rams, what do they do? They run a bunch of wide zone. What's Sony Michelle's strength? Getting to the edge and running outside wide zone, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you don't have to be like a burner. So to succeed in outside zone, you just have to be, you know, patient, get to your landmarks and cut up the field. And I think that's what he does well. I saw a stat saying that Sony Michelle averaged. 4.2 yards after contact on wide zone runs in 2020. And he only averaged three yards per carry on all other runs. So this should be a good fit. So goodbye, the Rams. And uh, we talked about this a little bit before we recorded too. Like they have so much talent that you would imagine as long as he stays healthy, you know, he'll be formidable in that offense. So uh, he's probably not going to be an explosive kind of guy, but just a guy that you can move the chains with and play with. So there's that. McVay just cannot quit these guys. The guys where it's like, I don't know, has their body given up on them a little bit? And then he's like, ah, let's find out. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> it's like the school for for rehabbing injured running backs. Um, yeah, hopefully it works out there. well for him. Yeah, I mean, him and Gurley. I mean, 
this is him betting on himself. Like, and I imagine mm-hmm. most offensive coordinators are doing this. Like, they think so highly of them or their offenses that they run, or you can plug anybody in there and expect results. So, um, they're they're so down bad right now at the running back position when it comes to injuries that they probably didn't have much of a choice. Uh, it's probably not a great sign for uh, Daryl Henderson either that they're going out and getting a guy. But um, yeah, I think it's more of McVay saying, "Hey, I just need a guy who can stay healthy and we trust." Yeah, so Sony Michelle headed to the Los Angeles Rams. That is uh, something to keep an eye on, see how that backfield plays out. Uh, but as I already mentioned, we want to take a deep dive on some of the new offensive play callers across the NFL. And the team that I want to start with that we've talked a lot about so far, and they're a really intriguing young team, as crazy as it is to say, the New York Jets, new coaching staff, Robert Sala is their head coach, Mike LaFleur is their offensive coordinator. They've been doing some intriguing stuff here in the preseason and their rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson has really shown up so far in his early preseason performances for the New York jets. If you watch that jets game, it really does seem like they were trying to win a super bowl. It's pretty absurd. And I don't know if it's the, you know, Matt LaFleur, Robert Salah thing, or if it's the two LaFleurs going head to head or the Packers trying to kind of test their uh, defense in first year of a of a new scheme, but the, the Jets, Jets were, were throwing, throwing absolutely at- everything at them. Um, you can go into the fourth quarter and watch that Jets Packers game, and you'll start seeing Young Lafleur pull out like pin and pull RPOs where all the tight ends. On are on one side of the formation and all the wide receivers are on the other, just divorcing run and pass strengths for the defense. And then they're reading everything live. And that's just simply not stuff that you see in the NFL. And it's very funny that, you know, they kind of pulled that out of the bag in the fourth quarter. And it happens over and over again. Yeah, I told you guys this yesterday where uh, the 49 Seahawks game last year, I asked LaFleur, you know, if he's called plays before. And he said, F no, that's all Kyle. What this last game looked like was, LaFleur, after years and years of not being able to call plays, just being able to empty the bag, man. So Justice called it absurd. I loved it. And, of course, you know, it's preseason and you don't want to show everything. But it really did seem like uh, he wanted to empty the bag. So they had a little bit of everything, man. They were running just more nasty condensed splits or a ton of RPOs. And he did have some unique concepts where uh, they were getting routes down the sideline. He was high-lowing guys. Um I, I did have a couple questions on some route concepts that I didn't like, but that just feels like we're, you know, we're getting uh, a little too nitpicky. Um, he was creative, and I think that is a good sign. And also, he was, he was by being creative with the route concepts, I think it was playing to Zach Wilson's strengths. So he's getting him on the move. Uh, Wilson has him. Like, he can throw the ball outside the numbers with ease, and they did a good job of that. Um, how about Corey Davis, too, man? Like, he's a fun player. Uh, those two are going to have a – probably a big year based on the preseason um, that he's going to get a ton of concepts, but uh, yeah, man, the jets are, the jets will be fun to watch on offense, which is something that we have not been able to say in a long, long, long time. They're throwing a lot of those like now screens mm-hmm. that Matt LaFleur um, is running with Devonte Adams and they're doing it with Corey Davis. And I don't know what I ever made of Corey Davis. Really? I, I think I probably didn't think about Corey Davis too much, but the fact that he's getting those stop routes and he's turning them into something like he can play some of this bully ball and that that's going to be fun to watch. Um, One of the other things too, is like the jets. So like I said, they run pin and pull, which is a run scheme. Think of it as like a sweep. They're pulling two offensive linemen, getting them on the edge. That's important in the year 2021 because cornerbacks can no longer take on offensive linemen um, by basically cutting out their legs. that That's yeah. the new rule in the NFL. So Which we've seen put, flagged in the preseason already, by the way. Yeah, but like the Jets right now, like that Packers game, I mean, they're getting guys who are 370 pounds, or yeah, I mean, roughly around there, like 370 pounds, some of their offensive linemen, and they're asking, you know, 200-pound cornerbacks maybe um, to handle that block and set the edge. That's crazy. So I, I think we're going to learn a lot about those type of rules with the New York Jets specifically because they're doing stuff that, like, no one else does. I mean, and 
the college game, some of the pistol teams run it. Um, Gus Malzahn, Malzahn ran like buck sweep for a long time, but people aren't really running sweeps like that. And if, if you can get it, so my hat is twice the size of your hat and you have to take that on and you can't undercut me anymore. That's, that's a tough play to make, man. Yeah. Best of luck on that, man. And, and again, use the rules to your advantage. That's good. I thought you, you spoke about learning. Uh, I thought LaFleur had a nice little learning moment and you mentioned the curls and stop routes. So Corey Davis ran a curl on third and short and it was broken up. And those are the stagnant routes that we always kill Cliff Kingsbury for on the next third down. He runs mesh and Davis is wide open. So just get your guys on the move, man. And, and that was a nice little learning moment for him. Uh, the one play that really stood out was, and just talking about the different types of eye candy. And we see this with like McVay and Shanahan. And obviously that's the coaching tree that he comes from. So they're in 12 personnel. They had two tight ends on the same side and they motion one tight end to the other side of the formation where there's already two wide receivers. So now it's Trey. And the running back is on the same side. So now you have four strong on the same side. And mind you, this is in the second quarter of a preseason game that we're doing this. And then um, he comes back. He fakes the running back. So there's a play action. So now you have the linebacker sucking up. And on the, on the right side of the formation, you have a post wheel. And then you have the backside tied in running an over route. So just imagine all the conflict that does for the second level defenders. Uh, just the eye, candy, the eye candy that you have to work with there. So... Yeah, man, LaFleur is going to have some fun. And we we saw that in just this last game with all the motion, uh, getting Wilson on the move. Uh, I can't wait to see if there's even more that he's sitting on uh, just come the regular season. And we're, we're living in a world right now where the New York Jets are legitimately one of the most intriguing young teams in, in football. Uh, from, from a coaching staff perspective, play calling, and they've got a really talented young offensive line, young rookie quarterback. Uh, you mentioned Corey Davis, who is coming off the best year of his career as a Titan, got himself paid going to the New York Jets. And then they've got Elijah Moore, who by all accounts is lighting things up in training camp, rookie wide receiver. I don't know if Denzel Mims is ever going to get this thing figured out. He's running with the threes and fours in training camp for whatever reason. Hopefully uh, he does. Yeah, and I think that he's a talented player, so I, I hope that he does, and I'd like to see him thrive because this is what I want to see in the preseason. I, I, I wish more teams would do this stuff. I understand the logic and idea of, you don't want to show too much. You don't want to tip your hands because, you know, these other teams, they they deep dive so much on film and they game plan so much and they look for all these things that can give them an edge to what you're doing in the regular season. But especially when you're a young coaching staff like this and you're trying to get things figured out, like I don't think the Jets are going to come out of nowhere and be a playoff team or anything this year, but you're an intriguing football team. You just want to see improvement and innovation. And if you're a New York Jets fan right now, you should be absolutely stoked that they're showing this stuff in the preseason because that should get you really excited for the regular season. Yeah, Justin's talked about, you know, they're throwing a lot of now screens and he might have even tweeted this, but there was one play where the lineman was caught downfield. So the play didn't count, but they were in like a trips formation and they just kind of ran the receivers off and just threw like a really quick out route now route, whatever you want to call it. And that was like an extended running play. So uh, they're getting the ball out of Wilson's hands and they're just being super efficient, man. It's it's just night and day from what we're used to seeing. And I think that's the biggest surprise for all of us. Yeah, a lot of package stuff, a lot of RPOs, just taking a lot off of the quarterback's plate in terms of checks, right? I mean, that that's one of the things that those type of plays give you the benefit of. The quarterback doesn't have to completely switch the play. There's a route tagged on the backside of it anyway. So it can kind of help him bail it out without him necessarily like knowing every single adjustment that you could possibly make in, in the playbook. We're just taking that off of his plate. And that's kind of nice to see. Um, I think he's in good hands, man. Oh, I think no he's in good hands. It. Like, I know we want to make like Zach Wilson jokes and stuff like that, but like, I don't know, man, it might work. No, he's he honestly, he looks like a baller. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Um, we can always, everybody wants to talk about their pre-draft and, you know, how they felt about certain players. I was not as high on Zach Wilson as everyone else after two preseason games. Let's just say that the Jaguars should have taken him number one overall, baby. 
Uh, and I, I think that I mentioned it uh, either on this podcast or on NFL Reacts that I was not high on Zach Wilson either. I liked Lawrence Fields and, and even Lance just because of their size and, and physical ability and all, all of that stuff. But like the throws that Zach Wilson's making here in the preseason, that's why he went number two. And part of that is he's making like these off-platform throws, but he's delivering darts and, and he looks good and i know it's the preseason so but i so far i look wrong on zach wilson but every rookie quarterback has looked good and, and promising so far uh so it's it's exciting if you're a jets fan it, it, it really is they've got a lot to look forward to uh another really interesting team uh sticking in the afc east that we've talked about quite a bit the miami dolphins Tua Tungavailoa headed into year number two after there was a lot of question marks in year number one. I, I think that it was perfectly reasonable to say that, you know, him coming off of that major injury at Alabama took him a while to look like he was that, you know, top end quarterback prospect that we saw a couple of years ago in college. And so far in the preseason, Tua has looked really good and they've got a new offensive uh coaching staff in miami after chan gailey retired and they brought in will fuller they drafted jalen waddle they already had mike jasicki uh, i don't know about miles gaskin just yet uh, <laughs> but the dolphins also look really intriguing like this afc east looks like there's gonna be some serious football played in that division this season. Like, and I'm excited for the Dolphins' offense, specifically Jalen Waddle. I want to see what he can do, but I- I'm curious to see how they use Tua because he is an extremely athletic quarterback, and we didn't necessarily get to see a lot of that in his rookie season. So, do y'all know that the Dolphins have two offensive coordinators? Like, yes, really. Yeah, that's Both offensive coordinator. Yeah, right. Co- well, my which, Co- which, which one calls the plays? Which is what, I, what I'm getting at. Do they like paper, rock, scissors for every series? Or like, how does that work? Do they say, oh, I like that play, uh, play better. Uh, let's vote on it. How do you decide that in 30, 35 seconds, man? That is, that's what I want to know. You, you know what I heard one time? So like XFL stuff, right? We had enough people with Stanford connections that a lot of stories pass by like Jim Harbaugh era stuff, right? Harbaugh had like three offensive coordinators basically. And then they would like debate on the headset. Like one guy would have like the passing game. One guy would have like a run game suggestion. And then I can't remember the other one, but yeah, they would like be like, Hey, what do you have? They would say they're playing. They're like, all right, what about you? And then he would just like decide what he wanted. That's just such a weird process to me. Uh, Tangent, but Kyle Shannon actually talked about that on uh, I believe it was Sean McVay's podcast with P- uh, Peter Schrager, where way back when Kyle Shanahan was the OC and he had Packers coach LaFleur and Sean McVay in the headset, both just screaming and arguing, going back and forth about what the play should be. So I can only imagine um, when you're not as high up in the ranks as you are, uh, as the two co-offensive coordinators are for the Dolphins. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, George Gadsey and Eric Studsville are the co-offensive coordinators for the Miami Dolphins this season. Um, everything that I am looking at right now says that the Dolphins have not officially stated who the play caller will be. Uh, so I mean, it must be just, Hey, we got to coordinate this thing on the sideline. Uh, maybe they're going to stand next to each other the entire game or be in constant communication. I don't know. Uh, but as long as it's exciting and they can put points up, I don't really care how they make it work. It's running back coach and the tight ends coach, man. So. Mm. All right, let's talk about the Dolphins offense because they run a ton of pick routes uh, just to get easy throws for Tua. And there's a lot of spread. There's a lot of motion, just moving parts. I actually think they do a really good job of taking advantage of Tua's footwork and just the timing, like his just his ability to anticipate throws on RPOs. Uh, we saw it on the glance route where Tua had to like reverse pivot out, which is not easy, and he made it look very easy. Uh, there was another RPO where Tua just basically turned his back faked run action, uh, slot quarterback comes crashing in, and he throws the bubble. So uh, I think he's really good in that sense. Uh, you can just tell he's a good athlete. One of the other noticeable things is I think Tua did some pull-ups this offseason because he's, he looks a little bigger, a little stronger, and you can kind of see a little more zip on his passes. Um, he's, he's just throwing the ball into tight windows. And I, I really do think that 
that's made him more confident in the pocket and just being able to throw the ball. Um, he had one where he threw just like a whole shot uh, against cover two against the Falcons. And he also threw the same seam uh, like on a seam in route bender, whatever you want to call it. So uh, it looks good for him, but he's progressing. We talk about Jalen Waddle. Honestly, he looks like a guy who's going to catch 80 passes on option routes just because teams are terrified of his speed, which is great. Um, he's going to have a chance, you know, create after the catch. You could tell that they're trying to get to the edges a lot and use their speed. Um, Devontae Parker and uh, Will Fuller, the guy, the other guy, who's the Oh, Albert Wilson. So they haven't really played in the preseason yet. So we haven't really got a chance to see what they really want to do. But a ton of flat routes to Miles Gaskin, your favorite, Steve. Um, but a lot of these quick throws are just extension of the running game. So I like that. I like just getting the ball out of your quarterback's hands, getting your playmakers into space. You have to imagine that they're going to be a lot more vertical once the starters do come back. But I, I am kind of curious to see what Waddle's role is with Devontae Parker and Will Fuller. Um, is he going to be a guy that they use down the field or is he going to be, you know, this is underneath option route kind of guy. And the thing about Waddle too is like, once he has the ball in his hand, he can make plays, you know? I mean, he was a great punt returner. Um, if he would have stayed healthy and stayed in school, you know, he probably could have been the best college-level punt returner since Devin Hester. Um, so he's not a guy – he's not like uh, – let me think. He's not like Ted Ginn, right, where you just want to send him deep every single play, test the defense, keep him honest. Like, you can go underneath to him, and then once he gets the ball in his hand, he can make some plays. Yeah, he's not a linear athlete at all, and that's what like a Ted Ginn type is, where you you know you just want him to run straight. Guys, we have breaking news. We have to talk about this. Steve, that's were you not, gonna go? Go ahead, take uh, us there. Broncos head coach Vic Fangio has named Teddy Bridgewater their Week One. Star. Oh, Drew no. Lock. That's boring. Woo! Give me the lock roller coaster, man. Check down, city. Here we come, dude. I made a cut up one time of Teddy Bridgewater, like his first start with the Saints, and I don't think he threw a pass beyond five yards. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> it's twenty twenty. Like, just like as a like, that's perfectly fine. If you think that's gonna win you football games, okay, cool, good for you, Fangio. It's I love. It's not fun it. to watch. I get it. It's not exciting. I'm always in favor of give the ball to the YOLO quarterback, uh, the the Fitzpatrick's, the the Jameis Winston's. I want to see those guys just rifle the rifle the football down the field with just disregard for everything that's going on. But I do like to root for Teddy Bridgewater. Like he's had such an impressive story coming back from that devastating injury. He's just like the nicest dude in the NFL. I root for Teddy Bridgewater and the Broncos have a legitimately really, really talented offense. And so he had some success last year with the Panthers and that Joe Brady offense and, and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. And now he's got Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, Javante Williams. I actually like Teddy Bridgewater this season a little bit. So I'm team variants. So I would go with Locke because I just want the ceiling to be higher on my offense. I was watching uh, the Broncos and the Seahawks in the preseason game, and there are guys running down the seam open, and Teddy's like, nope, taking this check yeah, down, man. See, not like, <laughs> I just – he me. can be a good person. That's fine. Right. I can root <laughs> for him as a good person. I really don't want to watch him play football anymore, like at least starting. I don't think I, don't think I want that. Like KJ Hamler. Nope, not speed. for me, not for Teddy. Um, he he does he did make some impressive throws. I'm not gonna lie. He had a nice little uh corner route, and then he he does play with anticipation and blah 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 blah. But we know when it's third and six, when it's second and long or whatever, he's going to that check down. That's who he is. So if you're KJ Hamler, if you're Jerry Judy, like if you're these explosive wide receivers who can run. Did, wouldn't you rather play with Locke knowing that you have a better chance to get the ball down the field? This is very much a we're not competing this year, but we will be getting film right? Like type of move right. on the offense, right? Where it's like, hey, our wide receivers, we're getting film. We'll figure out who can play for 2022. Like, I mean, does Vic Fangio need to worry about his job then? Like if, if we're not competing at all this year, I think the Broncos are headed in the right direction. 
but they could have drafted Justin Fields and they took a cornerback who I think that he's a very talented player, but he's not a quarterback. And that's the biggest problem this roster has. I mean, you throw in the fact that like ownership, like no one knows what the hell is going to go on with the ownership and the lawsuit and the families getting mad at each other. Plus like we can't get like a clear idea of like, does John Elway still have power or not? Even though he's not the general manager, there's a lot of moving parts in Denver. I think I I don't think anyone has clear direction, which is why it ends up looking like this. Is Sertan even starting? I don't know that he's starting. So they have Kyle Fuller. I feel like they have – I can't remember off the top of my head who their other cornerback is right now. Um, but I don't know that – so they have Bryce Callahan in the slot. But I, I'm not so sure that he is, which makes this even more egregious that we're decide debating between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater when Justin freaking Fields was available. Uh, and you're probably going to have to draft a quarterback next year but you're probably not going to be high enough to draft that because teddy's probably going to have them in a good spot but like are they going to win double digit games like is it's teddy's ceiling that high that to be fair they have a really really talented roster yeah they also brought in ronald darby okay that's the other one darby um i i think the broncos defense has potential to be a top five defense like if everybody's healthy their secondary is one of the deeper secondaries in the nfl and their offensive weapons are there. Their offensive line can be questionable. Uh, I like Teddy, and I think Teddy's a, a safe choice here. But Teddy certainly doesn't put you over the top when you're in the same division as the Chiefs. Oh, and the Chargers are coming with Justin Herbert. Yeah, who, who would uh, who would defenses rather play? Uh, you think they'd rather play Teddy or Drew Locke? And I don't know that um, – I'm sure you'd get different answers, but what do you guys think? Teddy, for sure. Yeah, you don't have to yeah. defend the entire freaking field. <laughs> yeah, I can play cover two. Done deal. <laughs> and be good. Yeah. I do wonder, like, relative to the other jobs in the league, right, how tough is Denver? Because your weakest opponent is the Raiders, who have John Gruden on a forever contract, and Derek Carr isn't bad, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's your easiest in division game that's a tough gig yeah and like the afc is not a weak division either so um well conference i should say but like you know if you're not in i guess i should say you know if you're not winning 10 or 11 games you're not making the playoffs so yeah Vic, vic fangio has his work cut out again they do have a ton of good players so they should be good this year um but your margin for error when teddy's your quarterback man it's uh it is an eye yeah, you know, they were one of the teams that was widely rumored to be pursuing Aaron Rodgers if the Packers were actually going to give him up, which was never, I don't think, a, a realistic thing. Uh, but I think if you put Aaron Rodgers on this team, it's so talented that they're a Super Bowl contender. Like, they can challenge the Chiefs in that division. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke aren't those kinds of players, but Drew Locke does give you more upside. Like he's going to take those shots down the field. He's going to take the chances. So Teddy's safe. I don't think Teddy's going to be their year long starter. I think we're going to see drew lock at some point, but I am a little surprised because lock has looked good in the preseason. I I'm a little bit surprised that Fangio decided to name Teddy Bridgewater, the starter uh, ahead of their final preseason game this weekend. Uh, But before we take a break, I got to get to one more AFC team that I know Justice is dying to talk about. The Pittsburgh Steelers, his guy, Matt Canada. He's been absolutely raving about some of the things that they're doing this season. Yeah, I mean, point blank period, he's Sean McVay on acid. Like, that is what we're doing here. He's <laughs> he's not going to jet motion. Like, he's going to have two tight ends shift completely. You're going to be scrambling and being like, they just moved two gaps our strength went from right to left. We have to bounce the entire defense. And then by the time that you get there, then he sends one of the tight ends on jet motion on the way back and he has the ball running full speed. It's hard to defend. Like all the window dressing stuff that, you know, Shanahan McVay run right now. I don't think it really compares. Like he's, he's going to be King window dressing and it pisses some people off sometimes. Um, you can talk to people at Wisconsin or LSU about how they feel about Matt Canada. They didn't love it, 
But if you talk to people at like Maryland, where they almost upset a championship contending Ohio State team, or uh, Pittsburgh when he upsets Clemson when they started becoming the Death Star with Nathan Peterman throwing three shovel pass touchdowns, like Matt Canada has some stuff in his bag, man. So when I was watching it, I wrote down Peyton with Breeze, and that's what it kind of reminded me of, just with like how much how condensed their receivers are, but they still end up spreading the field. Um, they ran four verts on their second drive out of empty, which was amazing to me. And it was third and short. So right then I knew, oh, he's going to be fun. Like we're going to have a good time with this guy. I think one of the biggest points that I saw um, was just how they use Najee Harris. And to me, and I told you this yesterday, just like to me, he's a receiver in that offense. So basically Pittsburgh took a wide receiver in the first round based on his usage. Um, it's like he was clearly one of the best players in the draft. Like forget whatever position he played. Um, you can tell that uh, he's just going to be able to get open. Like he knows what he's doing. And you know your current quarterback's probably not going to be able to throw the ball beyond 25 yards without it looking like an arm punt. So with that in mind, uh, you get to your checkdowns, man. And that's why that's part of the reason why I say it, it's just going to be Peyton with Breeze just because, it, you know, there's all over the field, whether it's sit routes behind the uh, the linebacker or – um, just little drive routes or whatever it may be. I think they re- do a really good job of stretching the field horizontally. Um, I, I'm really excited to see how they look just because I talked about Najee and the good use of coaching. So he's running isolation routes. I had one where he ran a Texas route. And instead of handing the ball off to him, just throw him the ball. He had one, I'm sure everybody's seen the highlight play, where he stiffs arms somebody, runs down the sideline for a big game. Is that going to be something that happens every game? Probably not. But the fact that we're seeing it right now tells you he can do it. Um, a lot of empty, a lot of horizontal stretch. Um, hopefully we never have to see Mason Rudolph play because that was tough. Um, Dwayne Haskins train. But um, I, I really think Pittsburgh is going to be fun to watch too just with how many moving parts there are on this offense. Uh, what do you guys think of Juju? I, I think Juju is still talented. I don't think Juju is like a special player, but I think Juju is a talented wide receiver who's going to be around the league a long time. He's like Golden Tate, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if he's as mean as Golden Tate. TikTok one, Corbett. And what he reminds me of, like he's going to be around for a long time. Man, I don't, I don't think anyone in the league is hated more than Juju, dude. The DBs every yeah. week because he's always dancing oh on their logo. Oh my god, they're tired of it, man. They're tired of it, and they're tired that it's Juju. They're like, it's not even Julio. It's freaking Juju. Yeah, I, I don't know. The, the biggest thing that I worry about in Pittsburgh is the fact that, you know, Matt Canada, like you said, he's going to want a lateral stretch. He's going to want to run Jet. Jet hits faster, under center. Okay, that's fine. How do you pass from under center? You don't want a straight drop back, so you want to boot. That's perfectly fine. The problem is... Last time we saw Ben Roethlisberger, he was probably the least mobile quarterback we've probably ever seen other than Tom Brady, and Tom Brady's just throwing darts. I mean, the Buccaneers aren't running Jet Series stuff because Tom Brady can't do it at quarterback. Um, With Ben Roethlisberger, I do wonder, like, how limited they're going to be as an under center passing offense just because I don't know if you want to get Ben on the move just because he's so big at this point. Yeah, he had one play where he was forced to scramble, and you could tell he just had no interest in moving around yeah. at all. Um, I mean, that's why they were in the gun last year, right? Yeah. I mean, they're just throwing darts. I mean, they ran the the Peyton stuff when Peyton couldn't move anymore. They ran what uh, Aaron Rodgers was doing when he was on a bum ACL, and he couldn't get under center, so they put him in the pistol. Like, that's kind of what we're talking about with Ben at this point, and you're kind of asking him to run some of this boot stuff, and I just don't know if he can get on the edge like Tom Brady doesn't do that because he doesn't have the legs for it. So he does a different thing, but it seems like maybe the offensive structure and the quarterback aren't going hand in hand anymore, which like maybe that's fair. If this is like Ben's last year um, and you want to build a uh, system after him, I just don't know what it looks like this year. Oh, Ben did lose a little weight in the off season and the shape of his life, man. I was just about to say, he changed his diet. He stopped just crushing 30 packs, you know, in the off season, like started eating healthier. Uh, 18 packs now. 
It only took him till like 40 years old to change right. up his diet. But you think like a seltzers, seltzers, or what's say <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Burger's career? Right. He's these, also butt heavies. Yeah, seltzers and Michelob Ultras, like low carb beers. That's it during the off season. Maybe he's got uh, eating some avocado toast or something instead of <laughs> bacon and eggs. Uh, he's at least making an attempt and. The Steelers, you know, they were the last undefeated team in the NFL last season, but I think they were one of the least scary last undefeated teams in the NFL that we've seen in recent memory. Whereas, like, you could tell the wheels were going to fall off at some point with the Steelers last year. And so there is a little bit more intrigue because, you know, I think Deontay Johnson can be a special player. I think Najee Harris can be a special player. I think Chase Claypool can be a special player. And yeah, Ben's got his limitations at this point, but I think the uh, exotic offense and the things that they're going to try in Pittsburgh, it's going to try to capitalize on how talented those guys are and not emphasize the things that Ben just can't do anymore. So their rookie center looks pretty good. Uh, Kendrick Green, I think he's out of Illinois, but I I don't know if the goal was to get more athletic up front, but he looks good. I think that the offensive coordinator is going to flood field zones. I think that's his goal. I saw a little bit of that in the red zone where he's going empty and he's just running guys to whatever it is, like 10 to 12, uh, 8 to 10, whatever, wherever it is. Um, I don't know if there's going to be too many bodies because I did see a couple of route concepts where it's like, whoa, everybody's going there. Like, what is Ben supposed to do if nobody moves? So that'll be interesting to see. But I, I just like the idea of spreading it out and getting the ball to your playmakers in space because that's how you win in the NFL. I feel like you want to take advantage of your best guys. And most of the time it's going to be on an underneath hang defender. Who's not going to be the defense's best guy. We got to take a quick timeout here on NFL university, but when we get back, we'll finish up the crash course as we discuss some of the NFC offensive play callers that you should keep an eye on this season. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I have some exciting news for you, class. Your time starts now. NFL. Crash course? This doesn't happen very often. You're going to enjoy this one. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. I'm joined by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Hacking Co. Got a lot of new offensive play callers across the NFC. We just discussed the AFC play callers. It's not as defined for some of these teams in the league this year. You know, you might have a new offensive play caller, but you've got an offensive-minded head coach who's likely managing a a lot of the play calling duty. Uh, A team that I think that we're all paying really close attention to this year is the Seattle Seahawks. They've got a new offensive coordinator in Shane Waldron. Uh, Russell Wilson was unhappy with them this offseason, but supposedly they've all worked it out. It's all good in Seattle now. They say they're going to let Russ cook more, but then Pete Carroll and Shane Waldron say they want to feed Chris Carson all the time. So I don't really know what to make of it. Is this a new Seattle offense or is it just the same run heavy offense? And we're just going to kind of stifle Russell Wilson's ability. I mean, I think they're doing what they need to do to keep Russell Wilson in the building and stop asking for trades. I mean, if, if we're going to be honest, 
I think that's kind of what it is, where it's Pete Carroll being like, I want to do what I want, but I also want him. How do I do that? Um, when I watched the games, the preseason games, I really didn't see that much different offensively. Um, so I don't know. I mean, Russell Wilson's talk about Waldron all the time and saying, you know, this is the greatest guy I've ever talked to, stuff like that. And I'm just not seeing the difference on the field. I mean, obviously they're not really trying to win ball games right now. Maybe it looks different once we get into week one of the season versus the preseason when, you know, teams are maybe holding stuff closer to the vest, but I, I wouldn't treat them any differently um, this year, I guess I should say. It's going to be the same Seattle defense as long as Russell Wilson or offense, as long as Russell Wilson's under center, I feel like you're not going to reinvent the wheel for your 30 year old, very good quarterback, very talented quarterback. And of course, you know, you might want to tweak some things here and there, but Honestly, like I'm probably in the minority here. I don't think Shoddy was bad. I don't think his concepts were bad. I just don't think it was probably married or it was probably the best thing for that offense. But to go out and get a McVay guy early on here, you have to imagine they're sitting on some things, but there really isn't much difference. It looks like the same thing. So uh, it's going to be Russ or it's going to be the same type of offense, I feel like, unless Russ, you know, as so long as Russ is under center. I do wonder if maybe they get, Dwayne Eskridge back if there's going to be more things over the middle for him, like more quick, hot stuff over the middle, because we really haven't seen that. Uh, they tried to get like their guys. I forgot what his name was. They had a, a big receiver last year who they were trying to get to the flat route. And like he can't run. Or he can't really do anything. So uh, perhaps that changes with like their screens and quick games with Eskridge. Uh, but outside of that, I'm not sure like what else would be different. Like what, what are you going to do differently for DK freaking Metcalf? Like what are you going to do different? for Tyler Lockett. Like these are going to be the guy, like we know how they can win in the NFL. So um, it's probably just going to be a lot of play action still. And a lot of ground and pound Pete Carroll football, baby. It, it is just curious. Like when, you know, you, you generally don't see, and especially Russell Wilson of all people, like just like Russell's a fantastic NFL player, but personality wise, he's about as generic as anybody a- across the league. And for him to, you know, even say like, you know, teams just figured out our offense last year. And then DK <laughs> was like, yeah, well, we just kept running the same stuff, like play action, just go deep and teams just figured it out. That's why we struggled late in the season. Like, I just want to see that change a little bit. Like, obviously, Russell was incredible over the first couple of months of the season. But once teams kind of figured it out, you saw that offense really struggle. So I- I'm just curious to see how they manage that and how they adjust as the year goes on this season. I wonder if they tell their quarterback to throw the ball over the middle of the field and see if that changes anything. (laughs) At at some point, we have to put some of this on the quarterback. And I'm not hating and saying that he's a bad player at all, but he has to take some type of ownership here. That's why they brought in Gerald Everett. (laughs) Game changer. Goodness gracious. Um, You talked about Russell Wilson's personality. Did you know Russell Wilson was was a partner with a company that sold frozen bread and the bread was shaped like balls. And then he went on this like rant. Like I, I just learned about this, this last week. This is amazing. And they like talk about it and they're like, yeah, we have balls, but then we also have like bread that looks like the world. So kids can look at it and they can see the whole world. And they're like, wow, I can change the world. And I'm like, what the hell are we talking about? He's going to be such a good snake oil salesman. Once he retires. Have you tried the bread? No, I haven't tried the bread. No, why sure. would I have tried the bread? I don't um, know. I mean, is it good bread? It's like, frozen bread. Why do I want frozen pop, bread? Should we get a box and pop it in the oven? I don't know. I think Justice has for sure ordered that bread. There's no way he brings that up without trying it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is this, I, is this I have just had the, bread? Uh, is this garlic bread? Like, <laughs> I mean, what, why, what is it? I'm curious like, that. You eat cheese at pizza one time, and then KP never lets you live it down. <laughs> That's how this works out. Welcome. So, okay, I'm gonna figure out that bread thing, and we're gonna do a we're gonna do a taste test of Russell Wilson's football shaped bread at some point on this podcast. Uh, uh, another another NFC team that we're kind of curious about with the new coaching staff, the Atlanta Falcons. Obviously, Matt Ryan's got some question marks, getting older, slowing down a little bit. No Julio Jones. They still have Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts. Um, Arthur Smith, new head coach, as well as new offensive coordinator, Dave Ragone. Uh, we assume Arthur Smith's probably handling play calling duties 
in Atlanta this season, but I'm kind of curious to see how that shapes up there because we know Arthur Smith as the, as the guy um, in Tennessee, the way the Titans like to run the ball, the play action stuff that they were doing on offense in the passing game, the Falcons aren't really set up to operate that way. So I feel like they've got to change some things up there for Atlanta to succeed and be the type of offense that we've seen them be in the past. I would imagine a lot of isolation routes for Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts, just get those guys one-on-one and we probably will see a lot of play action. And maybe those guys are now running crossing routes over the middle or I don't know, whatever route you want to run with Ridley, he'll, it'll probably work because he will get open and he's proven that. So keep him outside the numbers, I would say, and let him go one-on-one. But um, I, I don't know if we will see much of a difference from Arthur Smith because as a play caller, think about it. If you've been doing this for the past couple of years and you've been successful, you're not going to change what you've been doing. And sure, the personnel is going to be different. Like Derrick Henry is now no longer in your backfield, so teams may not respect the play action the same way. But I still feel like they have weapons like Kyle Pitts and uh, Ridley. are like They are really, really good players. And yes, Pitts has never taken a snap before, but you don't have to wait to see a guy like that to say that he's good. The one thing that I worry about is the fact that so like Arthur Smith, right? People talk about Ryan Tannehill, play action passing. I think we make the mistake of lumping Arthur Smith's offense in with like the McVay Shanahan, more like West Coasty stuff, no, uh, West Coast boot stuff, because this is much closer to like Andrew Luck Stanford than it is like Sean McVay and when what they're doing with like a stretch and boot. Like PA shots, you mean, right? Yes. Right. So because of that, right, the quarterback is still in the pocket off of play action. Your linemen have to block. The Falcons offensive line, they haven't gotten the return on investment that they put into it. I mean, they spent first-round picks. They've paid these dudes. They're just not performing like they thought they would. So I do wonder how the offense changes if it's just Matt Ryan just getting the pocket blown up, and that's what you're doing with him, you know? Um, so I, the other thing too, is like, man, outside of Calvin Ridley, I really don't know who you got to get the ball to. Um, Kyle Pitts obviously is very athletic. Um, he's going to be great, but like, look at the running back room, Mike Davis, Cordero Patterson, RB2, Donta Foreman. Like, what are we doing here, man? This so is, Rus- this isn't Derrick Henry. I'll tell you that. Russell Gage is their other receiver. And I don't think I've ever watched a Falcons game where he didn't drop a pass. Like he, he just cannot catch the ball. Uh, so, no, that's a good point just as far as their weapons go. You would imagine you would just start to rotate coverage towards uh, Ridley. And, yeah, you you just cross yeah, your fingers. Great game plan. Call it a day. <laughs> right. Yeah, first few days of the week. I'll see you Wednesday. Right. Right. Oh. Gage has shown some flashes in the past. But, yeah, he's not like the consistent type of player when you trade away Julio Jones that uh, – Russell Gage and Olamide Zacchaeus aren't exactly what you want filling in for Amazing a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Yeah, I, I, the Falcons, they're probably not going to be good this year. Um, they have a lot. I mean, they're, the difference in talent on their roster just compared to probably anybody else in their division <laughs> is, uh, is night and day. So he's going to have his work cut out for him. And when you were talking about those play-action shots, maybe now they're play-action uh, – 10, 15, 20 yard routes as opposed to deep bombs, deep posts. Because when you have the Titans and you have Derrick Henry and you have AJ Brown able to get down the field, you can take those those posts, those glance routes. But yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty fascinated to see what they do. Uh, I'm, I'm not expecting much success, though. Uh, another team I want to talk about real quick before we get out of here is the Philadelphia Eagles new head coach, Nick Sirianni, offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen. Uh, We assume Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, so I believe they have not officially confirmed that. Uh, Joe Flacco may be going to push for some playing time here. I don't think that's actually going to be the case. Um, But I'm curious to kind of see how this unfolds. Uh, I still have my question marks about Jalen Hurts as a passer and really this – Eagles offense as a whole, but it feels like they finally got some playmakers at wide receiver in Devontae Smith. If he's healthy, Jalen Rieger, hopefully takes a step for them. Uh, Quez Watkins, hopefully continues to just be a a big play machine 
for that offense. I- I'm curious to see how they build this thing around Jalen Hurts because his rushing ability we know can be uh, a game-breaking part of what he can do for them as an offense, but he might still have some steps to take as a passer. Yeah, and they're still running a bunch of two tight end stuff, which is an identity, right? Um, <laughs> I, I think Philadelphia, other than probably Indianapolis, is the most like tight end heavy in how they use them as both run and passing game threats um, in terms of the teams. So I, I think they can do, like, weird stuff. Like, there's definitely some, like, YY sets where, like, you put two tight ends to one side of the formation, and then you can run option to that side. And those type of things are, like, really hard to fit. Um, obviously, if you have a mobile quarterback especially, what you're not trying to do in the preseason is just, like, for lack of a better term, blow your load, right? Kind of keep some of that stuff close to the vest. Um especially in the option game. So I do wonder like what they have in store because right now they're a pretty boring team and they're getting their butt kicked. (laughs) They just don't look very good. And I don't, so you, when you talk about them using the 12 personnel, I think that's just because they have no other choice. Like, right. I mean, when go, when Goddard is your second tight end, you're like, yeah, I probably want him on the field. Right. Um, so just put him on the field instead of Ertz. You don't have to use both of them. All the time. Okay. The the problem with that becomes like you're not going to throw JJ or Sega Whiteside on the field. Arthega, Arthega, please. Uh, you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna have Greg Ward on the field. So you have Devontae Smith, very good player. Hope he stays healthy. Then you have Quez Watkins, who looks good. And then there's Jalen Rieger, who probably doesn't look probably not somebody you want on the field at this point no matter if you took him in the first round because you can't really trust him to get open so when that's the case you want to rely on your tight ends but i don't know i feel like when you don't have explosive tight ends like guys who can outrun somebody like they're not super athletic and obviously you know there's outliers and anomalies like a noah fan guy but just somebody who's athletic and can outrun a linebacker in five yards or whatnot like that makes up it much tougher on your offense so the defense can shrink the field they can condense the field they can sit on routes and it's not going to be easy for Jalen Hurts in that sense have you guys been keeping up with the the Landon Dickerson stuff is he he gonna play he was doing cartwheels in the offseason right army crawling to Mac Jones telling everyone he's healthy gets drafted he's showing up to games like shirtless and overalls now with the Eagles still not playing man is there what, any what is word? It? It's like a weird site. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not on the Landon Dickerson beat. I just saw the overall pick, and then people were like, he's still not playing. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Is I it just like a mascot overall. thing? Yeah, I saw the overall pick. Uh, I guess I didn't realize that he was doing that while not playing. Probably not the yeah. best look. Speaking, hey, speaking of mascots, this week in uh, What the Hell is Going On in Houston, did you guys see who was on the sideline? Oh, Esterby, dapping up the players. Oh, I'm sure they love him. (laughs) It was like in the fourth quarter, someone got a clip of it. So like a guy catches a pass, hits the sideline, like Esterby's right there, just dapping up dudes. And I'm like, yo, what is going on? And then I thought about it and I'm like, is that like when like the owner comes down, like when Arthur Blank comes down to the field at the end of the Super Bowl? Like, because it was late in the fourth quarter, like two minutes left. So I'm wondering, like, is he on the sideline or did he come down as like part with ownership? Like either one is a pretty weird thing. But the one thing I will say, he didn't have comms, right? So he doesn't have a pack. He doesn't have a headset, anything like that. So he's not making any decisions. He's just like hanging out. Weird. (laughs) It reminds me of who's that dude from like the 2000s Miami Dolphins team who was like, a booster or something who was always on the sidelines. And oh, the Nevin Shapiro guy or whatever? Giving players money and paying them and stuff. Like, that's what Jack is, but Jack's getting paid by ownership to just be on the sideline for whatever reason. It's so weird, man. Let's just abolish the text and get it over with. Let's let's stop wasting time here. So I, I looked up the Landon Dickerson thing. So he's on the pop list. Uh, Nick Serrani said today that he's still week to week and they just have to make a decision by August 31 or else you know, he obviously has to sit out six weeks. So um, nothing new there. 
you have a week to figure out if he can play or not, or else overalls for the next six weeks, maybe. Maybe they should tell him to stop wearing overalls to practice <laughs> and, and get healthy and get that thing figured out. But uh, this has been another edition of NFL University. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review everything that we are doing on the SB Nation NFL show. He's Kyle Posey of Niners Nation. You can find him at KP underscore show on Twitter. Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. You can find him at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm Steven Serta. That's where you can find me. We'll talk to you guys next week.